Hi, and welcome to Snacking with the Saints, the podcast where we eat snacks and talk about saints. I'm Andrea. And I'm Lena. Thanks for being here. Welcome back, everyone. We are so excited for this episode. I'm really excited for this episode. Me too. We are going to talk about saints who are not saints yet. <laughs> But we'll be the blessed. Yes, snacking with the blessed. Snacking with the blessed episode. Yeah, our and we just picked our favorite, yep. our favorite blessed. Hands down, my True, favorite. Truly, my this one is truly one on the top ten. You need for a top sure. ten blessed. Oh, top ten blessed. That yeah. opens up a whole new world for, for sure. my top ten. <laughs> this one truly is one of my favorites. Just that we have done just because of who I'm talking about. Yeah. First, let's do just what is a blessed. I think right? that's a good idea. Okay, so there's a whole path to sainthood, and it's usually a very long process. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually a person is first declared a servant of God. So after they pass away, they need to wait at least like five years before uh, pe- mostly the people who knew them, or people who uh, were blessed by them in some way start their cause for canonization. Yeah. So, like famously, for example, JP two, like at his funeral mass, the crowd was chanting um, oh. "Santo." Oh, because um, so that was kind of like who would be like the people who started the cause there. Yeah, they were already talking about um, opening up the cause for canonization. Then, so someone yeah. has to talk about it or ask for that to happen. So first, you become a servant of God, and that's just saying like. People want them to be a saint. They want to yeah. start them down the road. Then you become a, become a venerable servant of God. And I had to practice saying venerable a lot. <laughs> venerable. Venerable. <laughs> and then you uh, become a blessed. And at this point, it's when there's already been a miracle associated with the saint. Right. And then you become a saint. Yes. So we are going to kind of unpack the lives of these blesseds. And the cool thing I think we've said this before, but if they're a blessed, you should be asking for their intercession because they need one more miracle to be a saint. To become a saint. So we're like rooting for them. Yeah. Like, so you should be asking. And they're probably really wanting this miracle yeah. to happen. So like if so, you ask them, yeah. don't you think there's like statistically, like you might be able to, you if there's sh- spiritual statistics? I don't. Well, I'm bad at statistics, <laughs> so I don't know. I really can't say. But, I'm just and thinking then, there's more motivation at this point. There probably is. I know my dream is to like be part of the cause of canonization because if you're like, like it goes in like the documentation, like you're part of that saint story then and you get to go to the canonization mass. Uh, So that's kind of my dream is to be like the last miracle that gets a saint over the edge. That's bucket list. Yeah. That's kind of a little bit about the blessed. So these ones that we talk about, if you feel struck by their stories, then Definitely get on that praying. Yeah, ask for their intercession. Yeah, we want them to be saints. We do. We want more friends in heaven. Oh, for sure. So, should we talk about our snacks? For sure. I'm excited for what you brought, because I love... You are? Oh, yeah. Okay, I bought something really simple, but delicious. Hawaiian rolls. The best. King's Hawaiian. I mean, so delicious. Yeah. I don't think there's really any other... Hawaiian roll. Are there not? I mean, there is, but really nobody should be buying them. They should be buying the King's one, because... We had some leftover after Easter dinner because we oh, have ham yeah. and yeah. then like, then we make sandwiches, like little oh, sliders yeah. with the Hawaiian rolls. But just something about it where it's just like, I have, I have little self-control with Hawaiian rolls. Oh. I'm just going to go out there and say it, but they're so versatile. Yeah. Like you can just eat it as a roll. You can make a sandwich with it. I actually really like to make these um, Italian meatball sliders. Oh yeah. And just like pro tip, get the 
Italian meatballs from Trader Joe's. And oh, those are probably good. Yes. And then I put like a little tomato sauce on it and put it in the Hawaiian rolls with some mozzarella cheese. Mm, sounds good. Bake it, add a basil leaf on top. It's so beautiful. And it's just like a simple meal, but it's like got all the sa- sweet and savory. It's got all everything. I want to go to Trader Joe's right now <laughs> and make that. We need like a Trader Joe's sponsorship because we talk about we them do. all the we time. We should be. Please, if you're listening. <laughs> Uh, my snack is an apple with tahini on it. Delicious. I was, cause you've never had tahini. I've never had it. I've seen it and I've just never like gone oh, out and so get it. And now I'm like, what was I missing out on? Yeah. Tahini, uh, if you don't know, it's like a chili lemon seasoning and it's one of our favorite, truly one of our favorite snacks in our house. Uh, we, you can put it on anything. Yeah, what do you use it for? Okay, so you put it on diced apples is what you is what me. Yeah, so you put on any fruit really, but also on like any vegetable. So Luis loves it on like a cucumber. Oh, it's yes. like so just like refreshing. It's that, that little like hint of spice. Oh, it's so good. Uh, so like cucumber with melon and uh, apples. Uh, I don't like it on watermelon. I was going to say, it, would watermelon work? I mean, Luis likes it on watermelon. Mm-hmm. I just love watermelon, so I want to just enjoy my watermelon experience. Yeah. yeah. I think the best tahini experience is mango. I'm with you. I have not had it on mango, but now that I've had it on an apple, I can only imagine what it tastes like on it. It's so good. Because even just salt on mango is good, So, but to add all that. Yeah. No, it's so good. Probably. So I love tahini, and it goes with my saint, but my favorite, like, every time I eat tahini, I'm instantly transported now to um, our honeymoon we went to Puerto Rico and one of like the excursions we took was kind of the snorkeling um to like a little like one of the keys off the island basically yeah and uh the people who kind of took us and where our guides set up like these lawn chairs in the beach and gave us like little cups of mango and fruit with tahini on it beautiful we're like sitting in the ocean eating tahini and so now that's like my memory too yeah yes because food can just transport oh, yeah. you to another time and place. Like, that's why we have, like, those comfort foods from yeah. when we were little. But I love that food memory. That's my sense of memory, so, Tahino. Tahino, country of origin or, like, area of the world, is it, like, Latin I America? Think, yeah. I mean, we're Mexican, and we put on everything. Okay. So, so I it's, think, like, a staple for you guys. Yeah. I, I think it's Mexican, but okay. I don't know if it's from another part of Latin America. Yeah. I need to but look that that part up. of the world. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But even, like, I could even see, like, um, like... Middle Eastern, Mediterranean type. Probably. Yeah. I could see that going with that too. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it's delicious. Like Moroccan. So it's for everyone. Yeah. I know. It really, if it hasn't traveled to other parts of the world, it needs to. It probably has. Some places do like a mango margarita and they put tahini on the rim Ooh. instead of salt uh, or sugar. That's beautiful. So it's just like, yeah, I think it's made its way a lot of places for sure. Yeah. But you know, like a lemon, sweet and spicy, it's just very... Mm-hmm very like Mexican snack or Mexican candy. Yeah. So tahini is kind of just like the it thing. I'm like a convert. I mean, I, after the first bite, I was like, you, what? Oh, it's delicious. What have I been doing with my life? You need to eat more tahini. <laughs> yes. That's what you're going to start doing. <laughs> so my saint is Mexican. Awesome. So I was able to make the Your blessed. My right? blessed. Ooh. I'm going to keep saying Yeah, saint. just forgive us. We're just going to. But he's technically a blessed. Also, I cheated. And this one's going to be a little bit longer because I cheated, but I didn't actually cheat. But I forgot that I wrote a paper oh. on this person already. So I How just found my old research How is from that college. Cheating? Because I didn't like do it now. I did it in college like years ago. 
if you were just prepping for a future you? I might have because I forgot. So when I was like, oh, I need to do my research, um, I was like, wait, I did it. It's done. <laughs> yeah. So my blessed is blessed uh, Father Miguel Pro. And not a lot of people know about him. I don't him. know him at all. Truly one of the heroes of my life. Aww. Truly. I love him. So I'll just jump into his life. Yeah, let's hear it. So he was born in uh, Zacatecas. And he was the third child and firstborn son of his family. And his father was uh, Miguel Sr. And his mother was Josefa. And he kind of has like an interesting life from just right away infancy. Yeah. He was sick as a baby a lot. And almost died. Mm. And his family appealed to Our Lady of Guadalupe, who we already know oh. is my favorite. Yes. Uh, and so he was miraculously saved from life um, twice by wow. her, her intercession. So um, the kind of people who uh, are fans of his or follow his story say like he was marked for sainthood from the beginning. Oh. So he had a fever once and another time he ate like a poisonous like plant. Oh, no. Um, and around his family's house. And so both times his parents, like I said, appealed appealed to her and he was miraculously saved. The time he was poisoned, I don't know. You know, it's one of those like, is it more legend now? But they say like he vomited up the poison and then he, so it was like crazy story with yeah. him. His family moved around a lot. His father worked with the miners. He was a mining engineer, which um, I also thought was cool to call back to Pier Giorgio Frasati, who yeah. also I was wanted like, to work with the miners. Yeah. yeah. So um, his mother was particularly um, said to be a very holy, gentle, good woman. Yeah. And she kind of is the one who transmitted love for others and caring for others' dignity to her kids. So she would uh, go to the workers' families and into the mines and deliver them, like, food and just care for them because yeah. historically the miners were a very poor population. And uh, she would take Miguel with her. So oh, he so he got to experience yes. that. And there are stories of how he was a very rambunctious baby and little boy. So he would go and just bring so much joy to the families that he visited with his mom. Uh-huh. So uh, he struggled a lot with sickness, like, as a child – He went back and forth living with other family members, depending on like the level of care he needed. But eventually he was enrolled um, at a school in Satillo, Mexico. And uh, this school was actually very anti-Catholic. There was a big anti-Catholic sentiment on the rise in Mexico. Wow. So at his school, he was actively discriminated against for being Catholic and um, prohibited from uh, practicing the sacraments. Um, and there's one story where he tried to go to mass and the school locked him in a closet and he, what? this feels really illegal. It, it really, it probably was definitely. <laughs> and he, uh, it said that he had to flag people down out the window and like Aww. called out who his family was and his like, so passerbys like wrote, had to write to his family Could because yeah, the school was also censoring his letters. That's oh, his, the wow. school was censoring his letters to his family. Was it like a boarding school? Yes, okay. it was a boarding school. So his family had no idea that he was being discriminated against oh. for his faith. But standing up for uh, his faith is what he is known for. Yeah. So it's like very early, like this instance you can tell was very, very impactful on yeah. him. Like set him up for fighting for the faith. Right, exactly. That's what he's known for. And he had this experience very early on. Um, But interestingly enough, it's said, like, no one really knows why, but when he became a teenager, like, around 16 or 17, he became uninterested in faith. 
and mm. kind of went through like a moody phase where he was withdrawn from his family. He'd originally been really close with. Yeah. Um, Sounds very teen. Yes. He kind of went through like a rebel teen phase. But eventually his um, mother took him to church with her. She kept emphasizing the importance of faith in their family. And she would always pray for him that he would get like his joy back and his love for his faith back that he used Mm -hmm. to have. Uh, So one time there was a visiting Jesuit at their uh, their local parish. And he became very close with them. So for whatever reason, he kind of made a relationship with these Jesuits and they invited him to a retreat they were putting on nearby. Nice. And um, that kind of retreat just completely changed his life. He Conversion kind of had, right there. Yeah, it's kind of like a reversion. He had a renowned, like refound joy for his faith. Yeah. So at this point, it's 1910 and his um, older sisters both decide to enter a convent. So wow. his older sisters become um, nuns. And I, let me see. So just like a really religious family. Yes, very religious family. So his sisters uh, are Maria and Concepcion. So they mm-hmm. decide to become religious sisters at this point. Um, and at this point, he was also regularly still meeting with the Jesuits mm-hmm. and kind of receiving spiritual direction from them. So I do want to say at this time, like around the 1910s in Mexico, there was a civil war happening, basically okay. like a revolution Um, It was a very big time political unrest for just the country in general. If you're familiar with the stories of Pancho Villa, Mm -hmm. when kind of when he was like marauding, uh, crossing between the border. I don't know. There's in our our family from West Texas, the stories of Pancho Villa are very prevalent. So I don't know if there's anyone who shares that, but he was kind of of the history. Yeah, like a bandit who would go back and forth and kind of terrorizing, but also he was kind of like. Uh, Robin Hood type. Uh-huh. But um, so there's just like a lot going on at this time. But uh, there was one side of the Civil War. And I did also do a project on this in grad school. So I should know this stuff, but I don't. <laughs> but one side of the Civil War was basically kind of pushing for um, communism, basically, to okay. take po- hold of the country. Wow. So part of that was that uh, there was... A lot was of political unrest. A lot of political unrest, mm-hmm. but also a very big push against any kind of organized religion. Oh, gotcha. So there was a big push to kind of outlaw any kind of and religious Catholicism freedom. Catholicism was really the main... Catholicism was the main thing. Yeah. yeah. So while the pro-sisters are becoming... Um, you know, deeply invested in their faith. Uh, and Miguel is too. This is also kind of happening in the background. So he did in 1913 join the Jesuits and his family lived kind That's of removed cool. from where the fighting was. Yeah. Um, but the fighting ended up kind of taking over the whole country eventually. Mm-hmm. So by 1914, just a year kind of after he joined the Jesuits, the like fighting, he joined to become a priest. Yes. After cool. he joined the priesthood, yeah. um, the fighting or when he starts like enters, like starting the his seminary. seminary yeah. yeah. Um, the fighting gets a little bit too close to where his novitiate was. Mm-hmm. He has this experience at this time in 1914 of um, having to flee the novitiate and um, they travel by foot and by train, and they eventually make it to Laredo, Texas, which is like way cool. down south, right yeah. on the border. Right. Um, you know, and part of part of all the unrest is that his family had originally been wealthy and well off. Now they are completely in financial ruin. Mm. Um, Father Pro's dad had worked for the old government too. Mm-hmm. So in this civil war um, kind of unrest, he was a marked man because they were hunting down any of the previous government workers. Yeah, um, There's just a lot going on. Um, his mother is 
getting really sick. She can't help the family because she's unable to work. At this time, Father Pro is also having his health issues resurface. Mm. So uh, this is it's a really hard period for his family, but he's also still trying to move forward with like his religious vocation, uh, which I think says a lot to his desire to join. Love of God. Right. So he uh, is moved around because it wasn't safe to have seminarians in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So he was moved uh, to California at one point, but then eventually in 1915, he was sent by way of Cuba to Spain. Oh, interesting. Um, So it's in Spain where he really is formed as a priest. Mm -hmm. Um, And they say that he was kind of the leader of recreation time, (laughs) that he uh, was kind of the one who would kind of lead the other seminarians and like fun and games and that kind of one of his ministries was to the gypsy children of Spain. And he oh, did wow. that by just like being silly with just them and playing with them. Yeah, with, and engaging and with them. So they said that families would run out to meet him when he taught catechism because it was so fun. And that like children would just flock to them. And that eventually ended up converting a lot of the poor community where he was at because the children would bring their parents to see this priest that they loved. Eventually, he would catechize the parents along with the kids. That is so beautiful. I feel like fun is an underrated, like, evangelical tool. And, like, it just draws people naturally. That's beautiful. Yeah, he was super fun. Super just, like, vivacious, lively personality. Yes. While he's also still very sick, though, which I think is such a testament to his character. Yeah. So fast forward. It's 1924 now. He's still being uh, still being formed as a Jesuit. And yeah. I think one thing that's really cool is that he was sent to Belgium for his studies at this point. And it was to kind of learn about um, the working class and to kind of study issues related to the common people mm-hmm. um, because his superior his superiors noticed he had a gift at dealing with the working class oh cool so they kind of wanted to um I love just all the cultural experiences he's had yeah I think that's so cool too there's a quote from one of his uh, superior Jesuits at the time who said we need a popular man one who will treat the workmen familiar familiarly who can fall in love with their ways and become attracted to them a man who is always cheerful who understands them who enables them to live a life of liberty and joy. Um, And that's Mm. what the Jesuits were training him to be, like a priest for the working class. So I love that. Um, He was ordained in Belgium in 1925. And then one of his letters that he wrote home, because his family was back in Mexico, no Mm -hmm. one come to his ordination. Mm. He said, I went to my room, laid out all the photographs of my family on the table, and then blessed them from the bottom of my heart after his ordination. Uh, isn't that great? That's so beautiful. the whole time, again, he's very sick. He had stomach issues yeah. and he's suffering from these pains that are keeping him up at night and he can't eat. But he wanted to become a priest first and finish his studies because he didn't want them to know how sick he was. So they wouldn't ask him to leave the seminary. Like that's how dedicated he was yes. to like fulfilling this call. Yes. Um, that's how badly he wanted to be a priest. So he did have up to three surgeries on his stomach. And he had just like an open wound that would just bleed out. Like they couldn't figure out what was going on with his stomach. Uh, So eventually uh, they literally sent him back to Mexico so that he could die with his family. Oh my goodness. Because no one in Belgium could figure out what it was. So they were just sending him home to die at home basically. To be at peace with them. Yes. But they thought they were sending him to die at home. Mm. Uh, That's not what happened. Plot twist. Yeah, plot twist. (laughs) So he's, meanwhile, he's going back home. There's still this crazy political unrest, right? So there are these 1924 elections. Marco Elias Caius becomes the president. And he uh, he kind of wants what happened in France with the French Revolution to happen 
uh, in Mexico okay. and with the Russian Revolution. That's what he wants to happen again. He wants to bring that. He wants to bring that kind of same flavor mm-hmm. and that change same liver change power all the way to Mexico. Yeah. And he says that one of his goal is to, one of his goals is to outroot superstition in Mexico. Okay. So this is where the persecution is really about to ramp up. Wow. But at the same time. Father Pro is now Father Pro so priest. Is he associating superstition with like the Catholic faith? Yes, with oh, faith. Gotcha. Yeah, just faith in general. Faith in general. Okay. Yeah, but like you said, Catholicism was the main religion in Mexico yeah. at the time. Uh, so Father Pro is coming. That's what he's coming back to. He's coming back as a priest yeah. to Mexico after this man has just come to power and he's decided to root out all superstition. So within 23 days of his- I'm getting a superhero vibe from all That's this. so funny you said that because he is like a superhero. Right. Like Literally. Like, yes. Yeah, I'll explain. Okay. Um, I no, I will explain because he is like a Mexican superhero for sure. So 23 days after Father Pro's arrival in Mexico, mm-hmm. an order suppressing public worship is issued. Wow. So in Kaya's, the president is like public worship cannot happen and we'll be enforcing it with force. So it's like a forceful thing. Yeah. You cannot worship publicly. And so he, this new law came into effect in 1926. It laicized education. So there was no more Catholic education that could happen. It dissolved religious orders. It for- forbade priests to criticize the government or laws of the country openly. And it put all public uh, worship under the supervision of secular power. Wow. So he's like really coming hard. Yeah. For priests. This is again what Father Pro, he's in one of his writings. He says, When I entered Mexico, all religious service was about to be suspended. Thousands of faithful flocked to receive the sacraments. I had to remain the confessional from 5 30 to 11 a.m. So 5 30 p.m., 11 a.m. the next day. Okay. Yeah. And then again, from uh, then he took a break and then from 3 to 8 p.m. the next day. Mm. So like he's like hearing confessions for like hours. Um, he wow. says, I was still rather weak. I was still rather weak from my last home in Europe, having been in the hospital. I had twice to be removed from fainting in the confessional. So he's like mm-hmm. hearing so many confessions from people trying to get the sacraments in while they can. Yeah. And it's um, probably like enclosed. So it's yes. probably safer. Yeah. yeah. But before it becomes illegal, like oh, they knew gotcha. that was coming okay. down. So oh, they're trying to get it in before slip in it becomes like gotcha. life or death oh. to go get the sacraments. Oh my goodness. Isn't that crazy? He also says that he organized communion stations to happen, like, right before this mm. became illegal. It just makes you appreciate, like, religious freedom. Right. You're like, oh, oh wow. Oh, my. Yeah. And what people, like, the lengths that people are going to. Yeah. Um, on that that day, like, it was the first Friday also. Like, the first Friday of the month, but also one of the last days people could openly receive communion. And he says, estimated he gave out, like, 1,200 communions to people. Of people just trying to receive the sacrament. So again, it's so crazy that his order sent him home to die, but actually he was going right when people were like clamoring, right, to get... Like needing the most. Yes, needing needing, uh, sacraments the most. So obviously, um, just a a quick note, the Holy See, the Vatican does kind of, they never like fully, they never fully make statements on kind of what um, goes down and happens. Um, but they do say that priests and religious no longer need to wear any kind of vestments. Just so uh, they wouldn't be spotted. Yeah. they And also that they don't, they can use any type of bread for hosts if they celebrate the mass. That any, there can be any kind of chalice used, any kind of glass 
and that um, they can only say essential parts of mass. So they kind of, at the same time this is happening, kind of make these changes for people. Right. So they never fully come out and condemn what's happening, but they kind of modify in their way and kind of say that that those things can happen. So at this time, uh, the pro families in Mexico city and father pros living with them. And he never once stops ministry. So while That's this is amazing. happening, he doesn't miss a beat. He gave youth conferences. While it's illegal to organize religiously, he he would give youth conferences and do. It's like it powered him up. I feel yeah, like some of that like teen rebel is like coming out again. Yes, exactly. The teen rebel. So he does like Christian initiation. He's giving talks and retreats. And this is why he's a superhero, actually. Um, like there are old school comic books that you, I'll try to find if I can post a picture um, but they're like comic books about him because Stop. he would travel around the city in disguises. There are Catholic comic books. Yes. Okay. I need Mexican, to check this out. like old oh, school Mexican I Catholic comic books. So like much. they're super kind of like, yeah, like when the like Batman comics were coming out, yes. like there was in Mexico we Father Pro Saint comics. Superheroes. I mean, they aren't a real superhero. He truly is because he would wear disguises to travel around the city. Okay. Because he was going, Sold. yeah, he was going and doing like youth conferences and hearing, like doing RCIA and hearing confessions. Oh. And so he would like dress like, like a delivery boy and have his bike and stuff. Um, there's one. But like doing the most divine work. Possible. Yes. And that's how he would travel all around Mexico City is he was wearing these different disguises. There's one story where. I don't remember the particulars exactly, but I know there's one story where he was disguised and got on a bus, but for whatever reason, he was being followed. So they were on to him, oh. uh, which is also why he'd wear disguises. Cause that, I mean, he was so, so like doing such big things for the, the church yeah. and persecution that right. they knew there was this hero priest out there somewhere. <laughs> right. Again, like Batman, like we yes. don't know who he is, but he's out there. <laughs> so at one point he's being followed. And he's leaving one place and going to another place to do ministry. And he's being followed. So he, um, it's truly like he rolls into a cab. He rolls out like onto the street. Like while the car's moving? While the car's moving. He gets up and finds a woman walking down the street. And he grabs her hand and kisses her on the cheek and says, I'm a Catholic priest. And she puts her arm around him and walks him into a building. Like truly, operator. <laughs> truly, and the woman without missing a beat knew exactly, Very and James Bond. they became a couple just so he could oh, like so the people following him be like, oh well, that okay, guy also props has to that lady, yeah, for, like just going with it, yeah. So like truly, like secret agent stuff is yes. happening, and he's you know like he's doing ministry, but he's also like feeding people and organizing all mm. kinds of works of mercy and really taking care of the working class. Of these people in this yeah. war-torn country. That were like religiously oppressed. Yes. Yeah. So it says like he would also visit the prisons for, because it said his, in one of his writings, he said the prisons were the most filled with Catholics. So he was also <laughs> doing a prison ministry, just literally doing the most. That is funny. I, that's why I love him. Because he's oh, truly, truly just doing I the most. I love his story. Right. Um, also, at the same time, he still hadn't received full um, membership into the Jesuit order. So he was still doing a little like finishing up the seminary a little bit. Right. <laughs> OK, so here's where things kind of get crazy. Um, it's 1927. Uh, and there was a, an attempt on one of the main generals lives in the Kai's regime. Okay. There's an attempt on a big political player. Yeah. Now, the car that threw the bomb, I believe, was like a drive by bombing. Mm-hmm. Um, it could somehow be linked to one of Father Pro's brothers. They mm-hmm. had at one time 
owned the car or they oh okay just possession of that particular yeah they were connected to the car in some way i don't know the particulars he did not was not involved with this wasn't associated with it not in any way but (sighs) he did have some connection to this car and the Kaya's regime is already on to Father Pro. Right. And they already and don't like him. they're looking for stuff. Just to exactly. eliminate. They're yeah. looking for stuff. The assassination attempt happens. So they're on the run. Uh, Miguel Pro and his brothers are on yeah. the run now. Um, they are staying at the house of a woman named Maria Valdez. And there's also other outlaws, basically. Other people on the run. And mm-hmm. she's kind of sheltering them. Oh, cool. And she says uh, that while Father Pro would say mass for the people in hiding at her house, that... Um, they would, they started seeing miraculous things around him then that while he was saying mass that he would kind of be transformed into like a glowing white silhouette, like you read at the, um, transfiguration or that he would levitate a little bit during mass. And like, there's like a different accounts of that. So there's already like this, like something as big is happening in his life. Like there's this saintly saintly feeling around him already i think that's so cool when things are happening like during the life of a saint not just after their death where the miracles are happening it's like yeah actively being yeah. seen in their work yes like you said already actively like people are noticing special things about him i think then i were remembering like even as a baby they're saying his life is miraculous yeah. already november 18th of 1927 20 armed soldiers break into this house and they take father pro and his brother's prisoners um they said the people in the house heard him say, from this moment, let us offer our lives to God for the church in Mexico and let us do it all three in such a way that God may accept the sacrifice. Mm. And so now the accounts of what happens next are from Father Pro's um, brothers. Um, so they say, in prison, we first were all in the same cell. We recommended ourselves anew to God and then forgetting the seriousness of our plight, we began to sing happily, to joke, and to converse just as we had done any other time. Later, we were examined separately. We remained serene and did not cease to declare that we had nothing to do with the attempted murder. Because they didn't. They were completely innocent. Right. And then he goes on. During the days we were confined, we never left off our feelings of happiness and talked to each other with loud voices. Miguel said the rosary, and we answered, as did many others who were confined. Um, So they're kind of just, like I said, we have the firsthand accounts from his brothers of what's happening in the jail. Okay, so um, next, this is... Again, from one of his brothers, he says, an hour before the execution uh, was about to happen, Father Pro turned to me and said, "Uh, this morning, all three of us are going to be shot. Don't worry. Rather, let us thank God that we have been chosen. Let us renew our offering and pardon our enemies. So like he got a vision? Yeah, I guess so. Wow. Um, Or just some knowledge of it. He just had a knowledge that was given to him that that would be... What would happen? That, that's what gonna happen. Yeah, that's that's what was gonna happen. And just so calm about it. Yeah. And can you imagine just your brother being like, "We're hey, yeah, we're gonna get shot." Yeah, it's okay. Pardon your enemies while you have time. I mean, <laughs> forgive them ahead of time. Yeah. Imagine what's going through. Like, what kind of state is your soul in at that point? That you. Can I hope just- good. <laughs> well, I mean, for him to be. Oh able yeah, to- no, you know for them. Like- oh yeah, just the serenity, the serenity, yeah. and the peace. Like, like, what state was he in? Right. So while this is happening, they're in jail. There was a high-ranking general also in the Kaya's regime. He was kind of in charge of the jails at that time, and he had looked at the the evidence and kind of just objectively was saying, I don't think they were involved in this this uh, bombing, this attempted assassination. So he wanted to uh, get the brothers get the brothers out and just let them go. 
um, just like have an ordinary care, like, you know, carriage of justice happen. Yeah. But this, his attempts were stalled. So they were not able to get the prisoners out. Mm. Now there was also some political maneuvering that happened at this time. And I know like, um, the Argentinian prime minister to Mexico tried to intercede on their behalf mm-hmm. and said like, don't execute them. Let us, they can be exiled to Argentina and we'll take them as like refugees kind of. Yeah. But they also, they're also stalling that too, that attempt as well. So that's why we have the accounts from his brothers because they were spared. But Father Pro was not. So on the morning of November 22nd, he was the first one that they led from his um, his cell. They offered to blindfold him. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, that was my phone. They probably heard that. (laughs) Um, He was offered a blindfold, but he refused it. He before he died, say, may God have mercy on you. May God bless you. Lord, you know, I'm innocent with all my heart. I forgive my enemies. And that's kind of what he said to the firing squad. I have chills just hearing that. Very Jesus-like. Well, his last words were Viva Cristo Rey. That had become like the cry of the Catholics, kind of like their war cry at the time. And he spread out his arms in the form of like a cross. And that's how he died. Viva Cristo Rey, meaning like long long live live Christ Christ the King. King. Yeah. And that, that is how, um... That is how he died. Oh, I made a mistake. So his brother, Umberto, was also killed. Oh, he was. Um, but his other brother, um, Roberto, was saved by the Argentinians. Oh, okay. So like just in time before he was killed, he was given that political asylum to Argentina. Wow. So his account is the one the that we, we have from, from the prisons. So one thing that the Cayos regime made a mistake on, a big time mistake, was that they had the entire... Um, execution and everything photographed mm-hmm. and they printed it all in the newspapers as like a warning to Catholics, mm-hmm. but it backfired. Did Major- it just like amp everyone up? Yes. Like- Majorly amped everyone up. <laughs> so some of the other prisoners who were killed with Father Pro and his brother, their bodies were taken and put on display in a house that also was operating as like um an undercover chapel okay. where they people they had the blessed sacrament exposed and oh, people wow. could go there for adoration in secret. Yeah. So they moved their bodies to that house and it became um it became a place of res- like open resistance. At any time the estimates are unclear but the in the days following following uh Father Pro's execution they say it could be anywhere from 10,000 maybe up to 30,000 people came and gathered at this house where the blessed sacrament was, but they also said, um, rosaries as well. And at that time, the, their bodies were already vener- being venerated. Oh, that's so they cool. were like touching sacramentals to them and things like oh. that. And it became a straight up, um, public religious gathering. So it became like a protest. And then Just when like beauty out of ashes right there, right. And his funeral procession, of course, like the streets were lined with people shouting Viva Cristo Rey. Mm. Um, there were over 500 cars in the funeral possession. And so that at this time it's becoming a form of public protest. Yeah. So it's like undeniable, it, like. undeniable. And by this time he had been traveling all over the city. Yeah. Made to lots people. of friends. <laughs> so many friends. So that really brought out like their strength in numbers and yeah. people weren't afraid to oppose the government. Yeah, so it's, it's like, like one his of, courage. Yeah. Just motivated them truly and um you know like that there's that quote is it tertullian that says the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church Mm, i love that yeah so like truly his blood really brought like an uprising so news of him spread all throughout the world he became at this time period like a like a truly a martyr a martyr for the cause of uh, the religious persecution happening um and like i said they had they had the pictures everything was very well documented so it was news everywhere um, that this kept kind of like a major misstep of the government. Right. And so now they're like backed into a corner too, right? Yeah. Like 
before they're brazenly abusing the freedom of the people, but now it's kind of, it's shook in them too. Yeah. Um, one of his quotes that I love, he says, if I'm ever caught, be prepared to ask me for things when I'm in heaven because he was <laughs> like excited to be an intercessor. Yeah. So, I um, that. before he was even in the ground, there are <laughs> accounts of miracles okay. on his this is overachieving, right? So there was in the best way. There was one woman who was, um, suffering from an ailment, something with her eyes mm-hmm. that she was going blind and she wanted to attend his funeral and see him. Mm-hmm. And so she prayed for his intercession so he she could so go to his funeral see. and see him. Oh. And she was restored her sight. So, like, truly. That is beautiful. Right? And then, um, you know, he uh, suffered from chronic pain his whole life. And yeah. there was a poor Claire nun in Mexico who was also uh, suffering from chronic stomach problems. Uh-huh. And she was healed, like, just days after he was killed. So are those miracles not like attributed to his sainthood yet? Or well, remember the, you have to wait five years after a death to oh, begin. Oh my! The God. cause, right? Yeah. Um. So those were just freebies. He was just giving out. Exactly. I love it. So the cause for his canonization did start in 1934. So he's been uh, the. The process has been in process, I process guess, since then. then. Yeah. Okay. So I do want to kind of this personal story and why he's basically already a saint. And very few people know the story yeah. because... Um, this is a personal story for you? Yes. Okay. I had a professor in college. Uh-huh. Her name was Sister Madeline Grace. And she oh, was tiny mm-hmm. and terrifying. Oh, She okay. was the toughest professor. Okay. Truly terrifying. She also taught church history okay. um, at 8 a.m. Hardcore. Hardcore. And that, so my research for this paper was in church history. Mm-hmm. I also just like hot tip. Anytime Sister Grace was like, write a research paper on the entire like Protestant Reformation. <laughs> I would pick like one person in that like era and yeah. write about it through like their lens and their experience. Oh, cool. So uh-huh. we were writing about this. We were learning about this period in Mexico in church history. Yeah. So I focused on Father Pro in it. Cool. So I wouldn't have to like write this huge. <laughs> so a little bit like work harder, not smarter. That's what yes. that's where this came from. That's why I, I know I so much that. about Father Bro <laughs> and why I have this paper because Sister Grace was like write these huge papers, and I yeah. would try some way to narrow them down. Anyway, uh, I don't remember this story exactly all the way, but Sister Grace had family members who fled country i they were fleeing one country they were religious refugees Mm -hmm. and they had a relic of father pro with them oh wow! they asked for his intercession so that they could seek asylum here in the u.s and i'm fuzzy on all the details did you know this before you wrote this paper no (gasps) um so i'm fuzzy on the details but they did like miraculously like stuff kept happening where they thought they were gonna Mm -hmm. be like caught and they were fleeing like some nation i don't know the specifics Babe, we're recording our podcast. Louise just walked in. <laughs> Hi, Louise. What are you doing? <laughs> I did. Hi, Louise. <laughs> Wait, let me finish the story. It's getting good. I think it's getting good. It okay. Um, so she's got these family members. They're trying to escape some kind of country. I, they're, and miraculous things keep happening. Where like mm-hmm. they think they're going to be caught. Something's happening. They think their passports are about to get taken, but they just keep like every door, every opportunity keeps opening to them. And they have this relic of Father Pro and they're asking for his intercession. Yeah. They tell the Vatican about it. 
And the Vatican wants to talk to them <gasps> and like say like this is the second miracle. I, okay, I'm already. But so many the pills. dad of the family was afraid to publicize what happened because they fled. Oh, because of persecution. You. Yeah. So he said, "We don't want to be involved." <gasps> And so the Vatican could not use that miracle. And oh. so in her family, Sister Grace's family, they call him Saint Father Pro oh. because they know that that miracle happened yeah. and that the Vatican reached out to them and said, we want to investigate. We want to include this. We want to move forward. But because of their fear of publicizing their journey to immigrate. Yeah. So she says, we know he's a saint. He's, in their book, he's already. Not saint. everyone else knows, but we know. Yeah. And so she kind of, in learning about his life in this period of history we studied in class, she shared that. And she always would tell her students that. That's so beautiful. So at yeah, my university, there was, because of Sister Grace, there was like a few of us who had a devotion to him because oh. we won't like kind of in her honor, but also yeah. to have that personal connection through her. Yeah. Um, so in my book, he's already a saint. Well, and just how um, sincere and pure that is to like look at him in that way, even though he maybe hasn't been declared that through right. the church, but just like this intimacy of just knowing, like, I know, I know that you yeah. like performed this miracle. And like you said, they the miracles are already documented. Right. It just wasn't in his cause. Yeah. So yeah. such a powerful saint. I love already. Him. That's what I mean. That's why I call him a saint because he is. But also like so blessed father pro. He's blessed father Miguel pro. But I just call him father pro because yeah. he's and pro. My I feel like there. I mean, just so much material there to just right? work off. I mean, seriously. Yeah, so much. So that is he is us, my father favorite pro. blessed. Yes, please pray for us. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Cool story. Thanks. I love learning about. Him. I love him. I love him. Definitely superhero. Does your snack connect? Does my snack connect? I don't know. I mean, it's Hawaiian rolls. It's bread. Okay. There's just I talked bread. about Italian meatballs, oh. Italian sliders. I mean, we can make connections. Yes. Guys, I'm like super excited. Hey. <laughs> okay. My blessed is blessed Carlo Acutis. Ooh, I knew it. Am, am I saying it right? I don't know. I'm going to call him Blessed Carlo because I'm, I blessed don't want to butcher any Italian. Also, now um, I'm looking at his name on your sheet. And it definitely is a cutis. And this whole time I've been saying Atticus. <laughs> That's to kill a mockingbird. <laughs> it is. Like, you know when your brain just like fills in yes. the word? I had no idea. It was not Atticus until this moment. Listen, this kid, I'm kind of like, kind of in love with this kid because he, I feel like I can relate, even though I'm way older. I feel like I can just relate to his um, stage in life. Okay. So we're traveling Forward to 1991, he was born May 3rd, 1991, in London, soon after his family moved to Milan. But he is like the saint of the millennials. Yes. Um, or I know nothing about him. You don't? I know the website thing, but I know nothing about like him okay. and his life. He is such a cool kid, but like truly just such an example of how a teenager can live a life of holiness just in a regular state of life. I mean, he loved video games. He was taught himself coding. He was a jokester. He just had all these different parts of his personality that are just naturally like the life of a teen. Mm -hmm. And he used his spirituality as just like in his state of life to work his way to sainthood. Yeah. So just really cool story. Um, so just to kind of start, um, his family life, he did not, I mean, he was well off, 
Um, but his parents were not like truly devout Catholics. Mm. It said that his mom went to mass three times and it was like for her first communion confirmation and her wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. And so when Carlo got his first communion, he was like sold. He was just like in love with the Eucharist and the oh sacrament of the gosh. Eucharist. And so he would drag his like family members to church and that eventual like um, continually going to mass and receiving the Eucharist is what ended up converting his whole family into like a, a very devout, like Catholic practicing family. Okay. Already I love. I know. <laughs> so his whole story is basically about how like you don't have to be brought up in a in that faith that like even as a child you can be a, a, like a vessel of conversion mm-hmm. for others um, just by your desire um, and love for the Lord. And his whole focus was about the Eucharist. Yeah, I knew that. He is very, like, um, felt like that. He calls it the Eucharist, the highway to heaven. Mm, and I love that. he's like, that's my highway to heaven, and that's, like, how I stay close to Jesus. And he firmly believed that people, if they just received the Eucharist more, that was the way that they would become like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, he has a quote that's like, um, just that, like, receiving the Eucharist and becoming it gives you that path to becoming like Jesus and it's like a foretaste of heaven. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just so beautiful to witness that and just witness the faith of a child. Um, and that just speaks pure truth about like the, the miracle of the Eucharist. And think about his Sunday school teacher who taught him, right? Cause you know, there was like some like someone who sparked that. Yeah. Like a volunteer who was teaching like religious ed. Right. And it was so boring probably. She's (laughs) like, what am I doing? Yes. But (laughs) since she doesn't, didn't even know probably. Yeah. Didn't even know. And it just sparked this like love um, in him. So he was just like described as like, he was like a normal, handsome and popular boy, a natural jokester um, who enjoyed making his classmates and teachers laugh. He loved soccer, video games, and my personal favorite is he had a sweet tooth. Um, he said, Carlo couldn't say no to Nutella or to ice cream. And I'm like, Nutella. Or my like spirits. Yes. <laughs> so, but because of that, he knew like it would like, he'd put on weight and like he knew that it was like, he was like battling self-control with oh, some yeah. of this. And so. I can relate. I know. I'm like, you, you get this. And. Um, he said it was like one of his many struggles to overcome. So he had to learn the, how to master the art of self-control, which just mm. really speaks to me because I feel like self-control is one of those virtues that like if you can master that, a lot of fruit comes from that for the other virtues. And so oh, for sure. I mean, I was eating gummy bears like <laughs> in the car, like right before we started. Same. So M&M's. Um, so he he's quoted to say like um, because of his. Um, idea that self-control is such an important virtue to master his quote is what's the use of winning 1000 battles if you can't beat your own passions dang it <laughs> oh I mean this is from the mouth of a child really yeah. and to know that to have that kind of wisdom and knowledge at that age just um just so cool he has a lot of great quotes um it, one of them one of his more famous ones is like we're born originals but die photocopies Oh, and I thought that was just like gut punch. Like, okay, like you're called to live what God has designed for you. And you just, we tend to just go the way of the world and want to be like everyone else. And it's like dropping that like truth bomb. Um, But he also had a love for the poor. He used his first savings to buy a sleeping bag for a homeless man. He often saw like on his way to mass Mm. and 
that also just spoke to his self-control because he loved video games. He could use his savings mm-hmm. on like um, buying another video game, but mm-hmm. his love for the poor just superseded that. And it wasn't, it didn't just extend to this one man because at his funeral, there were um, a large population of poor people that came that were like affected by the help that he provided for them. Mm-hmm. So it was like a testament to how he had a love for the poor. Um, at one point he was given a diary and he decided to use it to like track his progress. So he was like really like critical of himself in this way Mm -hmm. of like trying to improve himself. So he'd like give himself like good marks, like kind of like a report card if he behaved well and bad marks if he didn't like meet his own expectations. Wow. Um, So he's like, this is how he tracked his progress. And there's a quote in his notebook that says, sadness is looking at oneself. Happiness is looking at God. Mm. Conversion is nothing but a movement of the eyes. Oh my goodness. I mean, like my mind is being blown. Yeah. I mean, like just, he's like basically saying pride versus like love of God. And all you have to do is just look in a different way, just change the lens. And, but also like such a saint for our times, right? Because how much are we just like fixated on ourselves now? I mean, just look at social media. Exactly. No, that's what I mean. Like such a saint for, and this Truly is what I love. This is what I love, love, love about the saint is that and we'll talk about this in a minute. But like how he uses modern day technology to evangelize, and so I'm just, I think he's just such an imp- inspiration. Um, but like kind of back to like his early time, he was like a natural jokester, like kind of a little bit class clown. Like his, it says like his classmates would burst out in laughter, like at his remarks, and so would the teachers even. <laughs> But he realized that, like, it was disruptive to others. So he, like, he was like, I need to change this, you know? Mm. Like, so it wasn't even that he was getting in trouble for it. He just noticed um, that it was affecting others. And he really, like, um, found it important to make life pleasant for the people around him. Thank you. We all appreciate that. Yes. I mean, like, don't you know certain people that are just like, life is better because of their little acts of kindness? Yes. That's who he was. I mean, in one of my jobs, I was a theology teacher. So that's Aww. that thank you was truly. I'm like, <laughs> me to all former teachers. Yes. <laughs> teachers, yes, for sure. And um, he was like, one of the things like he couldn't take was like, people cleaning up after him. Like, mm-hmm. even though he was very well off, like they had like a cleaning um staff for his home and one of the cleaning staff his name was Rajesh he was a Hindu person that cleaned Carlo's home like he noticed that like Carlo would set his alarm a few minutes early just so he could clean up his room so that Rajesh wouldn't have to do it oh I love and like Rajesh was like so captivated with like how like sincere and pure he was that that the little act of like how he didn't want him to do that despite like his rich like background like created a conversion for Rajesh and really yes and like it was like through Carlos example Rajesh like decided to be baptized in the Catholic church oh I mean like like I mean the catechism for that catechesis for that of just like doing something so small but seeing like the purity of God and his intention was enough to like light that fire for somebody to say like there's something special about Mm -hmm. you and I want to be a part of it I just, I love the way he evangelizes it, like almost unintentionally, mm-hmm. is just by his own spirit, the beauty of his spirit. Um, and he was very in touch with this purity. That was like a really important facet of his mm-hmm. spirituality. Um, he's said to have said, each person reflects the light of God. Mm. And because of like, um, 
because of this, like, you know, time in his teenage years of just emerging, like, hormones and all of that, mm-hmm. like, he would encourage his classmates and friends um, to reflect that purity and try to understand that the human body is, like, a gift from God and that sexuality had to be lived as God had intended. Mm-hmm. And he, it says, like, the dignity of each human being was so great that Carla, Carlos saw sexuality as something very special as it was collaborating with God's creation. Mm, wow. So just the way that he even saw sexuality was in such a mature light mm-hmm. um, and such a beautiful light of purity of, mm-hmm. like, this is, like, creation uniting together for, like, the love of God, um, which I just thought was so beautiful to when you think of teenage boys, you don't always kind of think of that perspective no. yeah. like as they're kind of learning that and that's all emerging for them. But for him to have that wisdom, there's just the wisdom that's spoken through his words, like t- such complex matters broken down into such simplistic words, but just hits to the heart of what the meaning is for some of that. It's so beautiful. But his biggest kind of contribution to the mm-hmm. church is that it stemming from his um, love of the Eucharist was that he created a website of all the Eucharistic miracles. Yeah. This is the only thing I knew about him. Yeah. He made a website. This is like what he's kind of like known for, but there's just so much more beauty to him. But, Mm -hmm. um, so at age 11, um, Carla began to investigate the Eucharistic miracles. So if you're not, yeah. So it's like, if you're not familiar with what Eucharistic miracles are, there are times where the Eucharist, oftentimes it's when, like it turns into the flesh mm-hmm. or blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a physical representation um, of the Eucharist transforming. Right. Um, and so he was just so captivated by that. And he was like, the world needs to understand this. And it says like, c- like he couldn't understand why stadiums were full of people because he loved soccer, right? And Ugh. he was like, I don't understand why stadiums are full of people and churches are empty. Mm. so he would repeatedly say they have to see they have to understand Mm -hmm. and so he created this website which this is the piece that I love is that you know previously for so many of the saints evangelization was like on foot or like you know person to person but he used technology as this way to spread that fire to like every home that it could Mm -hmm. enter into and so to make use of that and so he created this website that listed all of the different Eucharistic miracles and um, the story behind them. And there's even like maps. And then mm-hmm. like, if you look on the site, it's really cool. And like, I'm like, an 11 year old did this. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just like to see like, um, if you look at that site, um, but he used his computer knowledge because he basically was self-taught with a lot of the programming and coding. He used all of that in his talents um, to like create this website that traced the history of these miracles. And, um, it said that like, it's gone to like 10,000 parishes in the world. I'm sure even more at this point. Yeah. Um, but there's one, there's one particular miracle I just kind of happened to look at. And it was just fascinating to me about a miracle in Augsburg, Germany that he lists on his site. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's about this woman who went for communion and this was like in 1914 Mm -hmm. and she takes communion, but then she doesn't like eat it right Mm -hmm. away which is like not allowed in the church right she puts it in her handkerchief and she takes it home Mm -hmm. so this is like a big you know violation of like what um of the sanctity of the communion and so she puts it in like this jar with wax in it like almost like to preserve it and puts it in a cupboard cupboard I think her 
intention was to do like Eucharistic adoration because mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of that available at the time. But the sin weighed on her so great. After five years, she confessed to a priest mm-hmm. and the priest was like, you need to bring it right back. Mm-hmm. When she brings it back, the Eucharist is almost like, it looks like it's like divided in the middle, but like in between both sides of the Eucharist is actual like flesh and blood. Like, wow. And they've like, like this has been confirmed by the Catholic mm-hmm. church. They've done all like the testing. And actually over the course of that time that she returned it to the church, I think the priest saw it and like told the bishop and the bishop was like, it immediately needs to go to a particular place to be like venerated. Mm-hmm. And like, so that like the congregation can see. Mm-hmm. But over time, that host started to grow in size. What? So like when they have it in the monstrance, it's like almost a little misshapen, but it's like larger. Mm-hmm. And like it's like been growing. Like the Grinch. <laughs> Three sizes. Yeah. <laughs> but like way cooler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's so but one of the, like the beauty of that whole miracle is like she did something majorly not OK. Yeah. And God was like okay, when you bring it back, it's going to turn into something like so miraculously beautiful and the mercy of God and just the beauty of God. So um, just for like, you know, for us to be able to like have a repository for all Mm -hmm. of those Eucharistic miracles and for, for blessed Carlo to understand that at such a young age of why that was so, why it's so important for people to know yeah. how real the Eucharist is, that it's not symbolic, that it is the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, and that he makes that known through these miracles, is such a beautiful testament to his faith, yeah. his love for God, and his love for the sacraments, and as a tool to, like, be Jesus, mm-hmm. and how much, like, he saw that need in people that were, yeah. like, falling away from the church. So I just love that about him. I love that he was like this at 11 years old. Yeah, you know I, I mean? didn't know. I knew he was a kid, but I didn't know like how that he was that young when he was doing all that. When he started it, yeah. yeah. Um, he On his website, it says, Carlo wrote a list of instructions for becoming holy. <laughs> but his very first rule was this. You must want it with all your heart. And so, like, as factual and coding and programming and video gamer as he was, he was just such a, like, child that was in love with God. Mm -hmm. And you could see that very much through how much he adored him and how he used his skills and his particular personality to evangelize and to, like, bring the spirit of God to others Mm -hmm. and uh, to bring that knowledge. And so um, many people, you know, just say, like, he's such, he's, and I think, it says the legacy of venerable, well, now blessed Carlo, is he's an ordinary modern kid who watched cartoons and used the internet and wanted holiness with all his heart. This is why the world loves him, because he shows that holiness is possible for every one of us. And I think that speaks to the heart of who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so relatable. He is um, just living his regular life, but his love for the Eucharist just shines and it it says that he had wanted to be a priest um in 2006 he asked his mom like do you think I should become a priest and she was like God will reveal it to you um but unfortunately soon after that he started to feel flu symptoms and this was like when he was about 15 Mm -hmm. and then it worsened and he was taken to the hospital and he like knew he's like I'm not walking out of here oh my god and he ended up having one of like the more severe types of leukemia acute Mm. myeloid leukemia and when he found out, his reaction was, 
I offer to the Lord the sufferings that I will have to undergo for the Pope and for the church. Wow. So as not to have to be in purgatory and be able to go directly to heaven. Wow. Which was so cool. And he died shortly afterwards. And his mom is said to say, like, he's being a priest from heaven. Oh, like, I love that. Where, yeah, like, that's where his priesthood lies. Mm-hmm. And um, after he died, his mother, Antonia, um, says that, like, it's because of his intercession that she gave birth at the age of 44 to twins. What? <laughs> yes, born exactly four years to the day of his death. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And so um, <laughs> I am processing. Because on the one hand, I was like, well, that's cool. And then my mom brain was like, twins at 44. <laughs> All miraculous. Yeah. Uh, you know, even her reaction. Um, and so... It says that, that following the Catholic Church's recognition of a miracle in 2020, uh, his mother, Antonia, says that Blessed Carlo had appeared to her in, in dreams, saying that he will not only be beatified, but also canonized as a saint in the future. Ooh. So I thought that was so sweet that, like, he's, he's coming to his mom. Yes, he's coming he's to visit her in his dreams. His and, like, he's, like, answering her prayers like a good son. You know? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so um, he is just... Man, I just was like reading up on him and I'm like, I love this boy. Yeah. And like he, and okay. So well, what do your boys think of him? Cause they love coding too. I know they love coding. They love video games, even though I don't really let them play. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's definitely going to be one of those people that they're going to look up to and be like, okay, I can see myself in you. Yeah. And so if you can do it, so can I. And like, you know, in my own way and in my own spirit. And I was telling um, Evan and Noah that they're like, we can't wait to hear about him more. Aww. Like, you know, so, um, but I was showing them a picture of his tomb. Like he's enclosed in this glass case. And this is kind of like a famous photo of him, but he's literally like wearing Nike's jeans and like a hoodie, you know, like it's mm-hmm. like, um, so of his time and just like <laughs> relaxed, but like, where I'm like, we're going to have a saint that like was buried in Nike's like, this is just awesome. You I know, love that. it is so cool. It feels so modern so relatable and just to know that like he lived a regular life but so devoutly loved the lord Mm -hmm. and used his own tools um, to evangelize that it was like okay like this is so attainable if we desire it if we want it with all our heart and so blessed carlo we love you pray for us please pray for us please pray for us um and so he's also known to ask for intercession for um cancer patients and leukemia in particular. So if there's a cause for that, um, please consider him. Yeah. Wow. I, like I said, when the news of him, like it was just like all the headlines were saint with a website. So I was like, cool. But like, he's like just a cool person in general. He is. I mean, saint for the millennials and onward, like for sure. Yeah. Man, it's such like hearing about like some of his, because I mean, you know, if he had lived longer, yeah, he'd be my age. So just yes. hearing like his wisdom, like at such a young age, like it was such like, it, like such a time as this, right? Yeah. Like you were born for such a time as yes. this, like truly, like already the wisdom he had is In like a short ex- amount of time. Yes. Like yeah. exactly what his generation like needed, needed. to hear. Yeah. Yes. Truly. Like that's what I was thinking. Like yes. born so for we should, such a time as this. We should cling to him. Yeah. And then in the words and the wisdom that he had. I love it. Thank you for telling me about it. Yes, him. you're welcome. <laughs> I'm so excited about him. Like, me too. New friend. Yes. New best friend. <laughs> best friend. <laughs> All right. So should we move to blessings and burdens? Yeah. Okay. You want to go first or you want me to share? Uh, you go first. Okay. My blessing and burden 
is both the same thing. Oh, okay. And it's springtime. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. My burden is allergies. I live in North Texas. It's like the second worst place for allergies in Truly. Like the country. Um, so I just always feel like just bogged down and that is my burden uh, that I will just continue to carry because of genetics. Um, my mm-hmm. blessing is springtime because I love Spring is probably my favorite season mm-hmm. of just seeing all the new growth, like from going from the dead of winter. My favorite thing is seeing things just sprout. Yeah. And so. Blue bonnet season here. Oh, yes. Tons of blue bonnets, lots of wildflowers. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I, if anyone has listened to our other podcast, one of my burdens was my lemon tree was dying. Yeah. I left that tree out in the winter and I was like, it's gone. I just, I, I killed it. But there's all this, like, these little branches, like, he's sprouting. Back. He's back. <laughs> he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to um, go. And so he's, like, fighting for it. And I'm, like, so excited to see that. So it just talks, I mean, it just speaks of, like, the Easter season. And yeah. we're just coming, um, we're still in the Easter octave. And so it's just such a beautiful thing to see new life and rebirth. So very symbolic. I love spring. Yay. Yeah. Um, okay. I have a lot of burdens. <laughs> But I also have a lot of blessings. Should we hone in so, on? Yeah, maybe so, like, okay. Yes. So when I was thinking about like, man, like I could share so many of both right now. <laughs> that should be its own episode. <laughs> right? Just like all of our burdens. Um, I have a lot. I think I'm going to go with that I was rear-ended a couple weeks ago. Oh, yes. And we're all safe. I mean, my back was hurt a little bit. But just like right now, today, a burden was just like all the insurance stuff. Mm. It's such a pain. And like- just the paperwork and the yes yeah it's just like never ending and I keep being like okay we're gonna wrap this up today and just like one more thing yeah um so that was my burden today there's been many burdens but I'll just go with that one today big blessing was that it was our baby's first birthday on Tuesday happy birthday Ben yes it's his (laughs) first birthday we had such a fun day and then we were blessed because uh, my husband and I were there when he took his first steps oh. <laughs> on his birthday. Yeah. And he has not taken any steps since then. Interesting. But we both thought I, it was four. I, so we've just had such a fun week. That is a great birthday. blessing. I yeah. love that. Good way to end, end the week. Yeah, it's been so fun. Love it. So there it is. Great. All right. Blessed Father Pro. Yeah. And blessed Carlo Acutis. Acutus, not Atticus. Not Atticus. Okay. Pray for us. Please pray for us. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Bye.